Here I'm with Nick and Fiona. You're dealing with people's lives here. You're representing their lives. Hi, welcome to The Playlist. I'm Fiona Williams and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bassine. Hey, Nick. Fiona, it's an absolute pleasure to be here because we're talking about what I think is, I won't speak for you, although we may be on the same page. We uh, may have conferred earlier, yeah, but please go my, ahead. my favourite movie of the year, The Florida Project. Gorgeous. It was my what have been watching a couple of weeks ago and the release is imminent. Gorgeous film. Absolutely gorgeous film. We got the chance to talk to Sean Baker, the director, so that'll be coming up later in the episode. But first, what is the movie? So The Florida Project is set in Orlando, just on the fringe of Disney World, at an apartment block that houses people who are really living paycheck to paycheck. And it's through the eyes of this beautiful little girl called Mooney and her friends. And it's kind of a child's eye view of quite a dark situation and a friend of the show, Willem Dafoe, is in it. Friend of the show. But Brooklyn Prince is the star of this. She plays Mooney and it's such an authentic and beautiful performance. It's quite moving towards the end. I can't rave about it enough. I love it. And Sean Baker has directed Tangerine, who the film you may be aware of from SBS. That was the one that famously was shot on an iPhone. It was about trans sex workers in LA. From the beginning, this movie is captivating. The way it's shot, the way everything is so, I get from a child's point of view, but it's all, everything is huge and bright. And the duality of the American dream is punching you in the face constantly from the beginning. Everything is so oversized and, you know, a little kitschy and connected to Disney World, which is all about dreams coming true. And meanwhile, at this motel, dreams are being crushed. (laughs) No dreams are coming true. And it sounds like it should be completely depressing, but it's not because it's this child's eye view. She doesn't really know what's going on. She kind of twigs, but also... Brooklyn Prince is kind of a Disney kid. You could see her in a sitcom or something. And I think that's obviously why she was cast in this. She could Very be a Disney prin- yeah. princess and could be completely obnoxious but is gorgeous and very cheeky and gets up to all sorts of mischief with her mates. And you're along for the ride. Like It's wonderful. And then there is this serious side that you get glimpses of. The man who lives in here gets arrested a lot. These are the rooms we're not supposed to go in. But let's go anyway. Could you give us some change, please? The doctor said we have asthma and we gotta eat ice cream yeah. right away. Here you go. Hey, Lee, got a situation here. Open up. It's only second week of the summer and there's already been a dead fish in the pool. We're trying to get it back alive. Water blooms thrown at tourists. <laughs> The way they have the adventures with the children, these kids are, they're just, um, they're running around making the most of life. They're having a great time. And then as reality starts, it just slowly starts to creep in. It's just seems like such a simple approach, but it's so effective. By the end, I I was just a mess. Yeah, you were. I saw it. (laughs) As was I when I saw it. Reading about it, in other interviews, Sean uh, Baker talked a lot about comedy, uh, wanting it to be funny. Did you laugh? Did you you find any of the adventures funny? Yeah, I did. And uh, when, when they get caught, and there are great moments that feel really authentic, and I think that's why I was along for this. Yeah, like she's a little scamp, if you want to. Yeah. Cherub, whatever, you know, however you want to describe it. But they're kids being kids and doing some pretty outrageous things and getting caught, and there's there's all that comedy in there. And then there's 
suddenly not comedy and then it goes back to being funny. I mean, I think this could be Willem Dafoe's Oscar or at least a nomination for the role of the hotel manager. Oh, he's so good. It's great. He doesn't have to do a lot as is his kind of way of doing it. He's there and there's a fantastic scene shooing away someone whose intentions are fairly yeah. clear and it's great. That'll probably be the showreel clip, I think. That, the stuff with his son, I guess he, he's just so natural. For somebody who does a lot of unnatural movies, like superhero type movies. He's just seems so effortless and my heart was breaking for that guy. He loved his tenants <laughs> so much. Very protective. He doesn't own the place. He just, that's just his job, but he's, he's working paycheck to paycheck too. And he tries to help them and he has mixed, you know, success, obviously. I was trying to think of the light and the stuff that I found funny about it later on because I, I was okay with the kids stuff. I thought that was, it was charming and it was nice, but the, the pink hat that the mother is wearing, it says... Can we smoke weed in here? It's so funny. First of all, I love all uh, hats and clothing that say ridiculous things on them. Is And you would definitely find a lot of it in Orlando, Florida. Mm. But it's mixed in with this heartbreaking scene of her trying to feed her child. I mean, pulling a con in order to feed her child and smiling while she eats. And oh, my God. This movie just mixes all of these things in, and it's such a complete, incredible experience. I haven't seen a movie like it in a long time, although I feel like I've said that sentence relatively recently. <laughs> so um, when I saw the trailer, I thought it was going to be a lot more, we might not have lots of money, but we're kids having out, hanging out, and we have fun. And we eat ice cream, and we shout at strangers, and it's great. <laughs> I thought either it was going to be just that, or that something deeply horrible was going to happen. And I was I was right about little both. Column A, little yeah. from column B. And in terms of emotional reaction, the disaster artist I thought brought that out of me. That just I laughed so much during that movie. But um, there are times when I'll feel like uh, movies are terrible now. And I mean, I guess a lot of people probably have the same conversation every, every at the end of every year. But this kind of thing makes me think. This is why, you know, we watch movies. Yeah, yeah. It's been a good year. I mean, there there are definitely movies that I walked out of cranky, but. This time of year, especially in the lead up to awards season, you know, this is considered a contender. It makes you feel good that, ah, oh, there are good ones. We were lucky enough to talk to Sean Baker. And we do have to apologise for the audio in this interview. There was someone else phoning into the line, so you might hear some beeps, but uh, <laughs> we had to persevere. But Sean was a trooper with it. But yeah, anyway, without further ado, this is us talking to Sean Baker. Hi, Sean. Welcome to The Playlist. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I have to say off the bat, I love your movie. I love The Florida Project. It's one of my favourites this year for sure. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Thank you. How did you find Brooklyn Prince? Where did, where did she come from? Well, she actually came from a local casting company by the name of CrowdShot, uh, located in the Orlando area. They have hundreds of children in their database, and plus they did a casting call for us to the local three counties. But she was already in the database. She had some previous experience doing some commercials and one small independent. The odd thing, though, is that she wasn't presented to us up front. We were actually on our third casting call and getting a little bit worried that we weren't finding our Mooney. And then finally, Brooklyn came in and auditioned and just blew us away. I mean, I knew in that moment that she was definitely going to be in the film, probably going to be our lead as well. But, but just within minutes there, she had, she had won us over and she is uh, incredible. That's okay. all I can say. I mean, she's seriously one of, if not the, the, the most powerful 
you know, dramatic performer I've ever worked with of any age. It's really incredible. She's really incredible. You, I think you've said uh, that it's important not to over-direct children. So what do you do to, to get a good performance? You just let them, let them fly? I don't know if it's letting him fly. It's just letting him be loose. You can't let him fly because if you let him, I mean, that's not entirely true. Brooklyn is pretty great at allowing her to fly. Um, but when you have a group of kids, you can't let them all fly at the same time because it simply gets chaotic. And sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you know, they also, they take a direction in which you just, this simply doesn't work for the film. But, you know, for the most part, you know, we did have a full length screenplay and almost every one of her, and the kids' scenes had fleshed out dialogue. So they had dialogue to memorize so that they they had a foundation. And then when they're on set, it's about allowing them to be loose. It's about saying to them, you don't have to stick right to that dialogue. You can put it into your own words. You can add something if you'd like. So that that's really how it happens. And you have to also, you know, you do have to cast the right personalities. You have to, you have to hire kids who you know, are extroverts and who aren't embarrassed. And, and then you just, uh, you create a very casual, very family oriented uh, environment for them. And, and if you get them to that place, then I think they're comfortable enough just to experiment. Cause that's what, an, you know, that's what an adult actor is doing. They, when I encourage improvisation, it's just, they have to be comfortable enough to actually feel like they can riff on the material that we've provided them with. And that's basically where we have to get these kids to. It just takes a little more work. I can appreciate that. I mean, I've coached a basketball team with um, kids this age and it's impossible to get them to do anything. (laughs) I coach tennis too. It's it's unbelievable. You got these three kids. We actually did uh, employ uh, like sports techniques, I have to say, because you know, we had a lot of games and, yeah. and I had a wonderful acting coach by the name of Samantha Kwan and she really turned their summer into a summer camp, just uh, making sure that the kids were always engaged, even and never feeling like they were actually working. So you were turning it into games and you were you were getting to a place where they were just having fun. And I think that's that was very important with with this movie in particular, uh, you're you're providing a very realistic seeming window into different worlds that I, I assume most people aren't really familiar with. I mean, I, I've been to Kissimmee. I certainly never saw any of this. Uh, I certainly didn't see this world. Do you feel kind of a responsibility to do it justice? Is there something in the preparation? Like, how do you deal with that? Absolutely. Uh, a tremendous responsibility. You're dealing with people's lives here, meaning you're you're representing their lives. And I'm from outside of that world. I as you just said, I visited this area once when it was my family growing up. I certainly, I didn't see this side of, uh, you know, Kissimmee in Orlando. I was even unfamiliar with the actual term, the hidden homeless, right. quite mm-hmm. honestly, I, I until my co-screenwriter brought it to my attention. So doing this, yes, uh, there's an ethical approach to it. There's a responsibility and you have to do it in a respectful way. I think that these days, especially representation is, well, it's always been important, but let's just say now I think people are a little more aware of how important it is. Mm -hmm. And we go about doing this, I think, in about as responsible of a way as we can. Uh, And that means immersion and that means spending time and that means collaboration. And if you're not from this world, to be their voice is just not, uh, it's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. Instead, you should amplify a voice. You shouldn't be the voice. You should just be there to amplify it with the 
the platform that you have as a filmmaker. So, so that's how I see it. That's how I see it. Mm. Okay. Tell us how you um, sort of struck the balance of um, having this kid's eye view of the world. I mean, were you influenced by other filmmakers or films or that kind of technique of, of a child's experience of very grown-up situations? Well, we knew that it was always going to be primarily Mooney's story, mm. and therefore just the amount of time that's spent with little Mooney in this film almost makes it just automatically seen with a, you know, a child's perspective, just because when we shot her, we always shot her and her friends as if we're one of them. So we were always on their eye level or even below looking up at them, you know, never looking down at them. You know, as an adult, you are usually looking down at a child because they're shorter than you. <laughs> but we never wanted to shoot them that way. So the camera was never up on a, an adult's perspective unless unless we're actually with an adult and shooting other adults. So you have that element to it. And then on top of that, Alexis Zabe, my wonderful cinematographer, the both of us, you know, we, we talked a lot about how to capture those Floridian colors and to pop them. And we, we talked about how that could maybe, in a way, emulate a, uh, the way that a child's senses are, you know, enhanced or perhaps more uh, acute than, than ours as adults. So, you know, colors are brighter. And then with the sound mix, I made sure that, you know, ambience was always more in your face, uh, more present. I think those are the ways we went about shooting it. But it's also just the fact that we're with the kids most of the time. And then you have to you have to gauge just from a storyteller's point of view, you know, how much is a child in that situation aware of his or her situation? So, you know, then you start playing with that storyteller, how much how much we're actually going to show the audience. So we've talked to Willem Dafoe um, on this show before about uh, his approach to uh, role taking roles, and he's so incredible in this. He made it sound very workmanlike, um, where he he just shows up on set and does his job. But this was seemed like such a special performance. I was just wondering what it was like uh, working for with him and and what his approach is. Yeah, well, I think also he's being you know very. Uh, humble, you yeah. know, I think that modest, yes, I think that he is, uh, you know, he actually did, from my perspective, put in a lot of time, you know, he came in a week earlier from when we needed him, he met with, you know, motel managers that helped inspire his character, I could see that he was slowly absorbing, you know, he, he would come to set every couple, maybe a couple times a day for a few minutes, but most of the time he was spending is in the in the environment and i and i think that this was his way of you know becoming this character and yeah i i it was great to work with him it's absolutely wonderful i mean the guy is is incredibly uh kind and patient and and collaborative and we never even if maybe even the the half a time that we did not see things uh we weren't on the same page all it took was a wonderful discussion which was actually quite fruitful and, and very informative for both of us and those discussions helped to uh, you know just got us closer to the character and to what story we were telling so it was a great experience loved working with him. absolutely mm. loved it. so we're with sbs and uh we've had tangerine on the channel and i think next year we've got starlet coming up and over the course of what is it six films now You've developed this indie sensibility. I'm just wondering, after you broke big with Tangerine, were you tempted to take the path that some of your contemporaries take and, and go off and make a Marvel film? 
there's always that moment where there is the temptation. I, I can't deny that. Uh, there is a temptation if suddenly Hollywood starts to finally, you know, they're, they're starting to show interest for like the first time. Mm-hmm. There's, you, you start to think, huh, okay, I, I might want to work in that realm. I certainly went to school thinking I was going to work in this realm, in that realm. I wanted to make like Die Hard and RoboCop, and that was what I went to NYU. Well, pretty much so. As I my senior year in high school, I think I started to change my focus to Spike Lee and Jarmusch, et cetera. But I grew up with mainstream cinema, and always that's what made me love movies. So mm-hmm. I thought I would always stay in it. But now, as I gotten I've gotten older, I think by the time I got to Tangerine. I had already been, I guess, kind of happy in the wheelhouse I was working in. It's weird because I, my focus on what I consider almost like a, a model career has changed. I look now to the directors like Paul Thomas Anderson, James Gray, Tarantino, anybody who's been able to do their own original work and remain in this industry um, and slowly you know, raise their budgets. I think that that's pretty much the model I am looking at and inspired to follow, I, mm. I think. Um, I, I know that, number one, I would never take a Marvel film sim- simply because I would be doing an injustice to the Marvel world. I don't know comic books, so therefore that would be the worst choice ever for them to ever give me a, a Marvel <laughs> film. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, I look at those big action films of the 70s as something I might want to do someday. And that would be, I guess, the closest it would come to to working on that level. If I was able to do like a William Friedkin Sorcerer, mm-hmm. you know, Sorcerer, if you think about it, it was this, it had these humongous set pieces, very high action, but at the same time, it was also character driven. It was also, it did have social criticism and it. it was a political film. It talked about the oil companies and the exploitation of the third world countries by oil companies. So that would be like ideal for me. Mm-hmm. It's just that I don't think those films are being made anymore by the studios. Right. Yeah, so it's a very different world. It's a very different world I'm living in. Yeah. Well, you're obviously wrapped up in promoting this movie, but what do you watch? What kind of stuff do you, do you like or, or hate or what, what have you been watching lately? Um, I, I watch everything, you know, I'm a cinephile and my actual biggest thing right now is that I'm frustrated. I can't see it. And when you make a movie and especially when you're putting a movie out there, you cannot watch films. It's actually frustrating for somebody who loves films because you don't have any time to watch films. And I go to these wonderful big film festivals, you know, Cannes, Toronto, New York, London, and I go there and I, I'm not able to see any of the films that are being programmed there. It's, it's really frustrating. Um, but anyway, uh, but that's not, I still am seeing movies. And the other day I just saw the wonderful Call Me By Your Name, which I thought was yeah. incredible. Yeah. You know, I, this year has so many strong movies. And so when, you know, just us being included in some of the discussion with these other films, uh, I, I'm so honored. You know, I think Get Out is a cultural yeah. phenomenon. Yeah. I think it's one of the most important films of the last 30 years. Yeah, I, I'm just, it's a great time for films too. It's a great time for movies, so. But uh, I don't know if I answered your question. Hey, look, yeah, I, yeah. I buy a lot of Blu-rays, too. I, I, I try to, you know, see stuff that's harder to see. I really love the fact that there are all these Blu-ray labels coming out right now that have new scans of older films that we weren't able to get before. So in terms of content, it's a great time to, to soak up all those older films that you, you perhaps didn't get the chance to see in the past. 
Mm. Yeah, it's great. I have a letterbox. I have a letterboxed account. So if anyone wants to see what I'm watching, <laughs> they can just go to my letterbox account. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I find that really handy, isn't yeah. it? Sort of around the end of the year to just see what how many you watched. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. I'm going to check yours yeah. out. <laughs> Sean, thanks sure. so much for your time. Uh, the movie's amazing. Loved it. Best of luck to you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank I you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. And that was Sean and someone who really wanted to find into our conversation. Yeah. Hopefully they like the movie as much as we did. Probably call in and tell him. So the Florida Project opens on December 21 and we'll probably figure in award season, methinks. Let's hope so. That's it for the show. Make sure you get on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to rate and subscribe. If you have a question, email us at film at sbs.com.au or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SBS Movies. I'm at Nick Messine on Twitter. I'm anything but Fifi on Twitter. Thanks for listening.